Welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. I am your host, Meg Durham, wellbeing speaker, educator, and coach. Together, we're going to explore lessons to help us live well. Let the learning begin. Welcome to episode 58 of the School of Wellbeing podcast. I'm Meg Durham. I'm a wellbeing speaker, educator, and coach, and I love to help people just like you to take courageous action in your life so you can feel, function, and relate better. Today is a solo episode, and I love solo episodes because it's my opportunity to speak directly to you. As big-hearted humans, we can often experience feelings of guilt, and guilt can stop us from taking the action that deep down we know we need to take. This is why I refer to it as the guilt trap, because guilt can stop us in our tracks. So together in this episode, we will explore why we experience guilt, the subjective nature of guilt, practical ways to move through guilt, and so much more. I hope you enjoy this solo episode. Feeling guilty is a healthy, predictable human experience. When we feel guilty, it's because we feel like we've done something bad. And this is what Brene Brown teaches us, the difference between shame and guilt. Shame is when I feel I am a bad person and guilt is I did something wrong. So for today, we're going to be really exploring this idea of guilt, feeling that we've done something wrong. And this is why I refer to it as the guilt trap, because it can often stop us from taking the very action that we need to feel, function and relate better. Deep down, we know that we need to take this action, but we feel too guilty to take it. So today we're not talking about the guilt of actually doing something wrong, of not wearing your seatbelt or doing something against the law. We're talking about the feeling of guilt feeling like you're doing something wrong because it's different. It's not something that you're used to doing. It feels uncomfortable because over the years, I have worked with countless educators and school leaders to help them care for their well-being, and I have noticed a very predictable pattern in this process of change. It generally starts with someone or a workplace feeling inspired or desperate for change. Generally, when it comes to big-hearted humans, we come to change through desperation. We're desperate to experience life in a new way. We're sick and tired of being sick and tired. We're exhausted. We're over it. And we're looking for something different. So whether it is inspiration through reading a book, listening to a podcast, or desperation, we come to this point where we want things to change. That's the start of this pattern. Then the second part is we start to seek different options. If it's a coach, reading the book, looking on YouTube, talking to friends, we start to make a plan. So for example, your plan could be to sit in the staff room twice a week and eat your lunch. So that makes sense. You generally don't eat your lunch and so you're going to work on eating your lunch twice a week in a staff room. And then the next step on the journey is that when it comes time to eat your lunch, you will experience resistance. 
resistance is a healthy, predictable part of the change process. And I like to think of this as self-protection. Our brain is trying to protect us. Our brain is not trying to make our lives difficult. It's trying to keep us safe. And what safety means to the brain is familiar and predictable. So if it's familiar and predictable not to eat lunch in the staff room, that feels safe. And so as you're walking towards the staff room, your brain is going to start to go into protection mode and think, this is not okay. This is not right. And the first level of protection is excuses. And we explored this in depth in episode 37 that generally we have excuses around time. I don't have enough time or excuses around energy. I can't be bothered. I don't have enough energy or potentially even the weather. Too hot, too cold. There's so many different ways that we create excuses to stop ourselves from doing the thing that we need to do. So the next step, if you can get through your excuses, if you've managed to navigate excuses, the next level of self-protection and resistance is guilt. And this is what we're going to be exploring today. This sense of guilt. It's a bad thing to eat my lunch in the staff room. Other people aren't doing this. It feels uncomfortable. What will other people think? Is other people going to be in the staff room? And so this idea of guilt can really stop us in our tracks. And if we can manage to get through guilt, for some of us, the next level of self-protection, we bring out the big guns and that's when shame comes in. When we start to tell ourselves we're a bad person for even wanting to eat lunch in the staff room. So can you see what happens? We want to make a change and then inevitably there's going to be some resistance. That first level is excuses. The second level is guilt. And then the final level is shame. And so let's look at guilt. Why do we experience guilt? What even is it? And how does it keep us trapped? So the guilt trap is something that I picture in my mind that when we move towards doing something that's going to help us, we stop ourselves because we feel guilty. We feel like this is a bad thing to do. I'm doing something wrong because it's different. And so we stop ourselves and we don't do it. And in that moment, we have a short sense of relief. Oh, whew, I got away from that. I got away from that threat. But then later we'll become annoyed with ourselves like, oh, I wish I could just eat lunch in the staff room. And so it's important for us to remember that change takes time. It takes courage and a lot of compassion that we're not going to get it right the first time. And knowing that neuroplasticity is always working. The more we do something, the better we get at it. So for you, your guilt response may be so strong and so active that just the idea of taking care for yourself, just the idea of finishing work a little bit earlier makes you feel trapped. The guilt is just too overwhelming. So you've got a really strong reaction to guilt. And that may have been functional at a different time in your life, but now you're getting to this point where you realize, no, I really want to sit and eat my lunch. I want to be able to switch off from work at a certain time and noticing that we need to work with this, take that courageous action to start to anticipate when guilt is going to show up and gently keep going anyway. So you can see that guilt trap and then gently walk around it. And that's a skill. And that's a skill that I can help to support you to develop. 
And the way that we can develop this skill, this relationship with our guilt is getting to know when it shows up, to know how it manifests in your life. What does it look like? Normalize it and know that guilt is not going to hurt you. Guilt is a very healthy, normal and predictable human emotion. Just like we experience joy, envy, despair, hope, we experience guilt. And feeling guilty is a very common experience for people like you and me because we're big-hearted humans and we care deeply and we have such a strong work ethic and we enjoy the buzz of working hard and caring for others. And a part of this is because we have been conditioned by our culture by our workplaces, by our families, to be good girls, to be good boys that are selfless, that go above and beyond for others, that sacrifice our needs and wants in order to keep other people happy. And so it makes sense that when we start to think about our needs, our wants, our desires, we can feel this sense of guilt because it's like, oh, that's wrong. I shouldn't be doing this. And remember that guilt has a function. The function is to protect us because it can be scary doing things we've never done before. It can be scary walking into that staff room and starting to think about the social norms in your workplace. Is it normal that people sit and eat lunch? Is it different that someone's going to sit and eat lunch? What will people think if you sit and eat lunch? So can you see how this social element can really start to creep in? And it can amplify our experience of guilt and that can stop us and keep us trapped. So as that old saying goes, it's better the devil you know. We keep doing what we've always done because it feels safe. It feels like we're protected. And so people often talk about guilt and self-doubt as self-sabotage. And I think it's much kinder to think about it as self-protection. Our brain is just trying to protect us. and. It's interesting over the years talking about guilt in lots of different workplaces, it's interesting to notice that additional layer in faith-based schools where it's really a high value to be of service, to care for everybody else, to do all the things and to do all the things without any concern, any worry and to always be available. So think about in your life, where is guilt showing up? What's the function of it? And can you look at guilt as a beautiful messenger? As a messenger that's just checking in to see, do you really want to do this? Do you really want to have your lunch at the staff room? It's just checking that you're safe. It's protecting you. It's not trying to harm you. And so notice guilt, welcome it, and almost become friends with guilt. You can give guilt a name. So your guilt could be Gwen or Gary and just welcome Gwen, welcome Gary. Know that they're trying to keep you safe, that there's so much function to it. And also thinking about this idea that I did something bad. Bad is very subjective. What I think is bad, you may not think is bad. What you think is bad, I might not think is bad. And so starting to think about it for yourself, what really is bad? When you look at bad and good in a very technical way, we have the law, we have rules. They're very obvious. They're written in black and white. You wear a seatbelt, you stop at a red light, you don't speed, 
They're very obvious laws. However, the ones that we struggle with, the ones that are much trickier to identify and quite slippery and hard to catch are the unwritten rules. They're the norms, they're the rules, the beliefs, the values, the stories we tell ourselves. So we have our personal rules or norms and we have our social norms. So what's okay for me to do individually and then what's okay to do within this group? And every workplace, every family, every system has these unwritten rules. And so as we move towards doing something differently, It makes sense that we'll feel guilty because we feel like we're doing something bad because we feel like we're doing something against the rules. So I want to break this down for you and make it really obvious to see how this may be showing up in your life. So when it comes to your personal rules, your unwritten rules, your beliefs, your values, it could be something like you don't want to be difficult. You want to do the right thing. And so when you think about those five P's that keep us wired and tired, the perfecting, the pleasing, the pretending, the producing, and the performing, we can see where guilt could pop up and where we can become trapped by guilt. So for example, if you're a perfectionist, if you're someone who loves to do things perfectly, the idea of not doing something perfectly could really elicit that sense of guilt. (gasps) I can't not do it perfectly. It's got to be perfect. It's got to be perfect or I don't do it, that all or nothing thinking. And so just gently with compassion saying not everything has to be perfect. Progress is better than perfection. And so notice how guilt can trap us when we look at things and think it's not perfect. So as a well-being example, you may have this rule or belief in your mind that exercise has to be 45 minutes, an hour, 30 minutes, or it's not worth it. And so you think it has to be that way instead of thinking, well, actually, I've only got five, 10 minutes. Something is better than nothing. The next way guilt can pop up into our world, if you're a people pleaser, and I'm guessing if you're listening to this podcast, you can resonate with this sense of pleasing others. And so you can feel so guilty when you say no. This sense of guilt, even the idea of saying no, think, oh, that's a trap. That's uncomfortable. I have to avoid it. I'll just say yes. It's just easier if I say yes. I don't want to make a fuss. And can you see how that can trap us if we're constantly saying yes, or we're not quite saying yes, but we're not saying no? We get wired, we get tired. And so that guilt is around saying no, around having boundaries, around having your own needs and wants because it's unfamiliar. It's unpredictable. So it's much easier to just go back to the familiar and please others. Another way that guilt can show up is if we're in this habit of pretending. When we're in the habit of pretending, we're pretending that everything's fine. I'm on top of it. There's no problems here. And so you may feel guilty if you need to ask for help or even sharing your struggles. You may feel like, oh, I don't want to share because I don't want to be a burden to you. You feel guilty. For being human, because it's much easier when you're pretending. It's much more familiar to pretend. Another way that guilt can pop up, and this has been a huge one for me personally, is when you identify as someone who produces. You're someone that gets a lot done. You can feel quite guilty to engage in pleasure. 
to have fun, to just lie on the couch because this idea of being lazy, I don't want to be lazy and the idea of being lazy fills us with guilt because like, oh, that's bad. I don't want to do something bad. I don't want to be lazy because that's bad. I need to go produce. I need to go clean. I need to go do something. So can you see how it just comes into our world in so many different ways, this guilty feeling that we're doing something bad when in actual fact, we're easing off. We're taking care of ourselves. We're doing things differently and it's going to feel uncomfortable for a while. And that final P is performing. So we feel like we're always performing. We're always have to be on, we have to kick 10, we have to be A plus 10 out of 10 all the time. And so you may feel guilty if you had an average day, if you're a little bit off. And the idea of being self-compassionate makes you feel guilty because you think, oh, I can't be compassionate to myself. I'll ne- never get off the couch. And so this is how our personal rules, our beliefs, our values, the way that we identify can really rub up against these new actions and behaviors. Because if you're used to pleasing someone, the idea of saying no could make you feel so guilty and so uncomfortable that we feel trapped and then we don't do it. We avoid it. We have that sense of relief and then we go back to pleasing and then we get frustrated that here we are again. We're feeling resentful. We're feeling uncomfortable. Let's think of a concrete example. For me, for a long time, Reading a book that was not work-related, I felt so guilty to just read a book for pleasure because my mind was telling me I should be reading for work, productive reading, not just for pleasure, not for fun. And it took me some time to get comfortable with reading for pleasure, to experience that guilt and do it anyway. Just like we think about anxiety or feeling anxious about things that are new, this is what we can think about when it comes to guilt. Feel guilty and do it anyway. I felt guilty about reading the book and I did it anyway. And the longer I did it, the less guilt I felt. And then it just became normal because my guilt response had weakened over the years. And so now I love to read a book for pleasure. But initially, I felt really uncomfortable about it. And so this is how we can gently change the way that we show up in the world by acknowledging that we feel the guilt and doing it anyway. So that's in our personal lives. Let's look at the next layer when it comes to social environments, because it's one thing for me to read for pleasure at home before bed. It's another thing to read for pleasure in a staff room at lunchtime. Can you see that difference in dynamic? Because every workplace Every family, every system has these rules that are unwritten. It's what's okay and what's not okay. And some of these rules are really helpful for us, but some of these rules are really unhelpful. And it takes the courage of us to do things differently to realize that it's okay. Nothing bad is going to happen. I am not doing something bad. This is what I need to do to help me feel and function and relate better. So here's an example that really highlights how we can get stuck in these social norms, beliefs, these patterns of behavior that just keep us a little bit trapped. I was talking with a principal recently 
and they were talking about how they wanted to make the workplace much more flexible for the educators. They've appreciated that the last few years have shown that teachers can really have much more autonomy, also knowing that we need to have face-to-face teaching. And so they came up with the idea that if teachers aren't face-to-face teaching and they don't have an emergency replacement on that timetable for that day, they're able to go off-site. They can sign in late, sign out early, whatever needs to happen, they can come and go. There's much more flexibility. So this was an explicit rule. However, how do you think the staff responded? Do you think they instantly thought, great, this is new rule. Well, I'll head off. I'll make that appointment. I'll go do this. I'll go do that. No, it took months before staff felt comfortable to leave because they were so used to the social norms. They had developed this pattern of making sure that they're there when the bell goes at the start of the day and the bell goes at the end of the day. And so it took so long for the principal and the executive team to really encourage staff that it's okay to go. It's fine to go. It's within the rules. You can go. But then their personal values were kicking in. Oh, I feel guilty if I leave early because they're still working and they're still working. And now months later, they're in such a good flow where people are coming and going and there's not so much worry or tension around it because it was deeply uncomfortable initially until everybody moved through this new way of being and now it's just what happens. Staff come and go, they know when they're teaching, they know when they'll have an emergency class and it's this new way of being. And this is the importance of this work, learning that our emotions are messengers. Our emotions, our feelings, they're not facts. They don't have to stop us. We can keep going even when it feels uncomfortable. And that's one of the greatest skills that we can all develop, our ability to tolerate discomfort. So when we have the courage to move beyond guilt, we're giving others permission to do the same for them. Because unconsciously, we can keep ourselves and others stuck by doing things that are no longer serving us. And so we need to look to others who are taking this courageous action to help us do things differently, to really move beyond guilt. So when it comes to guilt, what are some practical strategies that you can start using in your life to move beyond the guilt trap? Number one, get curious and notice. What triggers your feelings of guilt? Is it leaving work? Is it saying no? Is it lying on the couch? What is it that triggers this feeling of, I am doing something bad? And just start to build up this self-knowledge of what it is that triggers you into the feelings of guilt. And number two is give your feelings of guilt a name. Like I mentioned earlier, maybe Gwen or Gary. And tell yourself, Gary and Gwen are going to pop up. As soon as I'm doing something different, as soon as I'm doing something uncomfortable, as soon as I'm doing something for myself, Gwen and Gary will pop up. So predictable. Become friends with your guilt. Understand that your guilt is trying to protect you and keep you safe. And number three is think ABC. A is for acknowledge. Hello, guilt. Here you are again. I can see you. I can hear you. 
This always happens when I go to do something, when I go to take care of myself. So we're simply acknowledging, we're waving hello to Gwen and Gary. B is breathe. Take some deep, long exhales. Allow your nervous system to settle and remind yourself that there is nothing to fear. It is okay. We're okay. And C is choose. Take purposeful action that will help you feel and function better in the long run. Because when it comes to guilt, guilt can trap us and we get that relief in the short run, but we don't get the benefits in the long term. So think about the action in the moment that's going to help you thrive long term, not just about survival. So these are the practical strategies to think about the next time you experience guilt. Number one, get curious. Number two, give guilt a name. And number three, think A, B, C. Acknowledge, breathe and choose. I hope this solo episode has provided you with a new way of thinking about guilt and practical strategies to move through your feelings of guilt so you can feel, function and relate better. If you loved this episode and found it helpful, please share it with anyone you think would benefit from listening. To learn how I can help you and your school community thrive, visit my website, openmindeducation.com. There you can book me to speak at your next professional development day or inquire about my new 12-month workplace wellbeing partnership. To find all the links from today's episode, please visit openmindeducation.com forward slash episode 58. Thank you for listening to this episode of the School of Wellbeing and I look forward to sharing more heartfelt conversations with you next week.